You are listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. The following teaching was given by one of the missionaries that our church supports. Jesus has called the church to go into all the world and proclaim the good news, and our support for missions is an important part of fulfilling the Great Commission. We hope you enjoy this teaching and are encouraged to participate in the great task of taking the gospel to all people. Heavenly Father, uh, it'd be really easy to, to get together during this time and, and it just really be about us and <clears throat> just the work of humanity and, and trying to do good things. Uh, but uh, as your saints who you've gathered together, Lord, I'm just reminded that the miracle of Salvation and the miracle of, of someone even becoming a Christian, um, it's such a, a work from the outside of, of what we can just see, and you come in and do something inward in people's hearts, and in our hearts, and in my heart. So I, I pray that this time you can meet us, that this would be a time uh, where, where just a, where a God interaction occurs, for all of us, um, both to impact us, ourselves, but also that we might uh, impact the world for your name and for your kingdom. Uh, but I'm just very aware that no, nothing will propel us, nothing will change us, nothing will transform us apart from you giving us eyes to see and ears to hear. And so I pray that in your great mercy and compassion towards your people, that you might wake us up anew. Uh, this morning with maybe some truth or a few truths or a picture or some sort um, that makes us want to love you more, to worship our King more, to love the person next to us more, to be more forgiving, to share the gospel. Um, but Lord, we just put it at your feet and say, would you come, would you do your God work among your people and drawing maybe people who aren't yours right now to yourself and uh, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So I have a lot to learn about the Navy. I did not grow up uh, with much Navy or even military service background, so I, I come here sometimes with work to Annapolis, and I hear phrases like midshipmen and all that good stuff. And actually, I have to ask, is that what you guys are? Are you in white? I mean, I've asked for your mercy and forgiveness. You're called midshipmen and women? No? Okay. See, I got I to gotta make sure. Like I said, forgive me. I pray for much patience and grace. Um, anytime, you know, and I encourage, obviously you can do what you want to do, but I'm always really humbled by seeing people in uniform because I know you're not perfect people, and I'm not a perfect person either, but there's something about making a choice you make a sacrifice for uh, something greater than yourselves. It always is very humbling for me, and so I want to say thank you very much for that. Um, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so I was kind of knocking around. Gosh, I don't, I don't know this church at all. I know it's near the water, and you know, thinking about kind of the culture of cities near water. And I had been studying through Ephesians recently. It turns out Ephesus is near the water as well. Uh, maybe, obviously, 2,000-year difference in the culture from what we see in the Bible, but a culture that's 
uh, has a harbor, um, probably very influenced by uh, the sea and the economy and the business that comes along with that, maybe similar to Annapolis. And <clears throat> it was interesting to me, as I'd been studying through Ephesians, Paul's writing to a people, in one sense, maybe real similar to yourself. You're, you're in a culture. You're near, you're near water. You're near sea. There's lots of things in this culture, in this city, influenced by that. And Paul describes some really great and big realities to the saints that live in this city in Ephesus, and they're they're realities that are true no matter where you are, whether you live near the sea or you don't. But I would just wonder, with some of the things I'll I'll share with uh, before I actually talk about ELIC, um, if maybe some of the pictures maybe that came into my mind also grasped the Ephesian saints, but also maybe would grasp and encourage you, because my hope, uh, as I thought about what is it I want to talk about and share, it's like, how do we... How do you maintain the gap, the, sort of the heart gasoline to live missionally throughout your life? Because there's, there's a couple ways to, to try to live missionally. There's, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do. Go, I know I'm supposed to go tell the, pre, you know, preach the gospel to people. And so we kind of get all revved up and we kind of ride this wave of, yeah, we're doing it. And then, you know, we crash and we run out of steam and gas. Um, and then there's the, uh, you know I, know, I know what I'm supposed to do, but that's, you know, reaching out to people is, maybe that's not quite my gift, and so we sort of back off uh, and kind of become, there's sort of an apathy that'll develop on, on Christians' hearts. I mean, that happens all the time. It happens daily, this fight to fight that. And so I've thought for myself, what, what is it that I try to do? What is it that the Bible exhorts us to do to feed the gasoline of, why, why do I want to be a part of this work that God's doing? What's so great about it? And so we're going to kind of hit some things in Ephesians and that'll lead into why even ELIC exists, why I went to do that. So if you have your Bibles, you're more than welcome to open to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to just run through some things here. When I was, gosh, I was probably seven years old, well, I would visit my dad and stepmom in North Carolina. We went to a neighborhood pool. This neighborhood pool had one of those tower diving boards. You guys ever seen? Not like the, not the 10-foot board, more like the 50-foot things up there. And people would run, scream as they jumped off this thing and, and would hit the, the, the deep water. And, I, you know, at six years old, there was no way I was jumping into the deep water. I, was, I just wasn't there mentally to cut, like, I just, I just couldn't get over the, it was just too big for me to get. Um, Paul in Ephesians kind of jumps in real early with jumping into some deep water with something he hits the saints with that I think is meant to hit us as well. We're going to, we're going to dive immediately into deep water and it's into something that people kind of struggle to grasp. Just like a, like I was, as a little kid, I kind of struggled with how do I jump from that into that without dying in the air, even though everybody else was doing it. Um, and that's kind of, but Paul's like, oh, we're hitting it hard. We're jumping in deep real quick uh, with something that is kind of meant to blow our minds, but I'm hoping uh, that it also just radically maybe invigorates us of, oh my goodness, how great is the salvation that we have. So uh, I'm going to read Ephesians 1, 3 through 
uh, 3 through 6 here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The first note I wrote up here basically says something like this. If you're, if you're a saint in here, it doesn't mean you're a perfect saint. It means you're a forgiven by God saint who has the Holy Spirit. There's a truth in here that's very deep, can be kind of hard to grasp, but it's one that you should still apply to yourself that's meant to blow you away. And the truth is this. God has predestined you, and he's actually predestined millions of other people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. But for you, Christian, take this for yourself real quick. He's predestined you to be adopted as a child of his kingdom through Jesus Christ to the praise of his glorious grace. Now, that might be something that's like, okay, you just went to predestining and God and you know, my life is about the immediate decisions that go on in it, and you just went from the three-foot diving board to the 50-foot diving board. And there's a reason why I kind of wanted to start off with that, and that is uh, <clears throat> a lot of times words like salvation and being a Christian and those types of things, they, they, they kind of get really lowered down to anything else. Like I've been saved, I've been saved from you might like salvation from failing a test. I've been I was saved from a wreck. Uh, I was saved and and came out of cancer, um, and and those things you know there's a certain kind of level of I guess of salvation. Um, but Paul, you know, <clears throat> basically you guys are familiar with Titanic. I mean most people unless you're like super young. You know that there's the Titanic. It was advertised as the unsinkable ship that sank, right? It took, it was like, man, this thing is, this tight, the boat is so, so great. When you step on, do not even worry. Uh, we got you through and through. Even, even in the worst case scenario, we still got you. And then, if, if you know, you read history or you watch the movie, you just know it took some hard taps by an iceberg, and the next thing you know, what was fully advertised about the Titanic is now not true, right? Now it's like everything they said about the Titanic, that's now, it's not true. Uh, and sometimes we think of our salvation as Christians as <clears throat> that's kind of how it might come across in our minds. Maybe that's how it gets advertised as, oh, it, it, they say it's so great, it's, it's, it's proclaimed as great, but I know something can come along and knock some holes in it, and maybe it's not as great as it gets marketed to be. And as a Christian, we say this, uh, when it talks about God predestining people, and, and, and for Christians, we need to hear this, the same power that God spoke the universe into existence with, with his word, that's the same power by which you've been chosen and you are held, okay? And if you can maybe just imagine you're you, 
being in the hands of God through whatever trial, circumstance, failure, sin that comes along, no matter, it doesn't matter how big or how sharp any iceberg is, you are held forever, okay? I mean, there can be some heavy knocking. Whatever, you know, think of whatever the iceberg is, maybe God takes away a relationship. Maybe it is sickness. Uh, there are some, probably some heavy-duty things in here. I don't even know you guys where it's like, yeah, Blake, but you don't understand the weight of my iceberg. And God's like, yeah, I, I know all the weights that come and are going to knock you around, and there is no weight greater than my, that penetrates my hand. I mean, it's God's hand. He's an internal, infinite, almighty being. And he's, he just says, no matter what iceberg you come and that hits my hand, there's nothing that gets through this. And as a Christian, we say, I am, I am, he predestined me out of just sheer grace. And as one predestined, there's nothing that's going to knock me out. There's no hole that's going to penetrate. Despite my, even my own failures, there's probably folks in here, it's like, yeah, but I've sinned pretty hardcore. There's people in here, maybe even as Christians, who are even in the midst of a lot of sin, and God's wanting to wake you up from that, and he said, I'm going to hold you. Yeah, there might be consequences to your sin, but my grace is sufficient to cover your sin even. Um, and so I start off with that because no matter if it's ELIC or a church, all these things are based on something a thousand million times greater. There's a greater work, a greater cause. It's the same with the Navy. I'm sure they don't when you guys you know, apply or you know, come in and go through the Navy application process and all that kind of thing, they probably, I mean, you'd have to tell me, how often do they say, it's all about you? All about you and just building you up and building your kingdom. Um, I'm guessing they might never say that, or they might say, man, you, know, you have some gifts, but this is so much about the greater cause of what the Navy's about, right? Um, and, a lot, and that's, as Christians, we say, man, our, our lives, the church, organizations like ELIC, we are based on something so much greater uh, than who we are ourselves. And so Paul hits this idea with, with predestination, and it's meant to actually be a big encouragement. Um, you were chosen, and the, the, the crazy part about it is when he describes who humanity is, apart from God, you don't understand exactly why he would choose you. When I was in middle school, I, I still like to play basketball. When I was in middle school, I was a decently tall uh, teenager. And so, and I was somewhat you know, de- average to decent basketball player. So when people would choose me, I, 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 I can't, it's like you kind of, I, mean, I don't know if you've ever been in this position, you're choosing teams, and unfortunately, the person who you think is probably not going to be the best on the team gets chosen last. Right? I mean, usually it kind of comes down to, oh, okay, it's them or them. Um, and, and maybe you were that person. And sometimes I, I've been that person uh, where it's like, oh, you're, you're, you, you choose them. We have this idea of, oh, God predestined, he just chooses people. It's uh, just kind of pity. Um, and that can be what pops into our mind, but that's not what goes on when God chooses someone. He chooses someone who's radically unqualified, for sure. He chooses people who are radically unworthy. Uh, in one sense, radically unlovely. And then he says, uh, I love you because I love you. And there's, it's not a, man, 
you have done bad things, but there are these five really beautiful things that you do that's so good. That is just not biblical. That's not the biblical reason why God chooses people. If anything, he, if anything, the reason why he chooses people a lot of times is like, I want you to be a demonstration of my patience and grace. I mean, that, that's what Paul says. I mean, Paul's like, I was, I was chosen to be an example of how much, how big God's grace is for me. And so, even if you're here today and you're just kind of wrestling with, yeah, but you still don't know my story. The Bible is filled with about like a thousand stories of people who are unworthy, unqualified, unlovely in a sense. And, that is, and God says, yeah, that's who I want to be part of my kingdom because, because my grace, I love demonstrating my grace. And so he grabs and chooses sinners uh, to demonstrate that. I want this. I want you to be an example of just how glorious and loving I can be towards people who even hate me. Okay? So let's start off with that. <clears throat> a lot of, and for some, some people kind of really struggle with the idea of, well, I'm not that unworthy or I'm not that unqualified. I mean, yeah, I make mistakes and, you know, that kind of thing. And, and a, and a, lot, of, a lot of times people, there's, there's, sort of two, there's sort of two kind of folks, and then there's the middle that's sort of a combination of both. There's the person who tries to find salvation, just their ultimate meaning, and basically just physical, the physical pleasures, the created world. And it's like, well, that's what I live for. That's what gives me life and hope. And you can pick your physical pleasure, whether it's uh, food, uh, the approval of men. They find their ultimate salvation in a person or a relationship. Sex, all these things that, are, that can be really good, uh, that, that becomes their ultimate, thing of sal- their ultimate uh, source of salvation. Or there's the person who says, I find my salvation in the fact that I, I, I am good. I, I stand on a solid ground of my performance. Um, and, they, and, and you can tell, and, we, and I would actually say we're probably all a combination of those things. Uh, and you can tell when you're being these, this person, when you get prideful of, kind of you think of yourself as better than other people. We all do it in some way because we all have our giftings and there's a part of our sinful tendency that says, uh, well, but I, am, I am good at this and they're not and there's kind of a space here because I'm kind of better. Um, but, you know, but I mean, I'm, I'm also really humble about it. Um, and then there's the person over here who says, man, oh, man all those physical pleasures are so great. Uh, don't tell me, don't tell me that, that, that I'm wrong or doing something wrong because, because this is what I, I enjoy doing it. And so we kind of find our salvation in those types of things as well. And God says, yeah, you guys make idols out of all that stuff, and I'm still, I'm still going to enter into your world and become just like you. And I'm going to take all the ways that you become an, an idolater on my son, and my son's going to get treated the way you all should be treated so that you can be free, so that you can come, so that you can know me. I'm going to put, I'm going to send another one in your place to die for all those ways that you try to find salvation um, apart from me. The picture that came into my mind is uh, my mom is an imperfect mom, but she is one of the closest, you know, as far as just human examples goes of unconditional love. And some of you moms might be like, yep, that's me. I love my kids. Uh, just nothing can stop me from loving my children. Um, 
But because she is, you know, sort of the, the best example of unconditional love I have in my life, I imagine going home, pull up into the driveway, and I, my mom loves to see me. So she comes out, and she's like, I can't wait to see my kid. Now, I, I, in one sense, I see her. Imagine, this is just as an example. I see her. I know she's there. She's got her arms kind of coming out. And as she comes towards me, I sort of shimmy by her and don't even acknowledge her and walk into the house. And the first thing, you know, my mom might say is, whoa, what just happened? This is my son who I've, who I helped make who I love very much, and he just walked by me, didn't even look at me, didn't even acknowledge me, but yet he goes into the house. She, my mom has cooked dinner, uh, so I walk up the stairs of the house. Whoa, what a beautiful spread she's made. And she walks up, again, heart still just full of love, and I sit down and start eating. And oh man, the food is good. And she starts talking, Blake, what have you been? How's the trip? And I, I'm in one sense, I'm enjoying the food so much, but I do not, I continue not to acknowledge her. I continue not to say anything. It's not like I'm even like being verbally abusive or anything. I'm just not paying attention. I enjoy the food. Uh, And then then she, at this point, is a little upset, kind of weeping. But I finish the food, get up figure out where my bedroom is, and I kind of start doing things with my room that I don't ask her about. There's just, I just decide, well, I don't like this, so I'm going to do it this way. Again, she's like, Blake, Blake, uh, what's, there's, 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 a, there's a distance here. What's, you know, what's, what's happened? Uh, and I continue to live not acknowledging her. Now, when, when somebody says the word hate, usually... Hate is demonstrated through just anger and uh, more just kind of this violent, maybe almost like a violent expression of feeling. But hate can also be demonstrated in just pure indifference to something. And in this example, that's basically what I'm, that's what I'm doing. Of, I mean, if, if someone were to just watch me do this every day, someone could really legitimately say, you're like hating your mom because you, you don't even acknowledge her. She loves you so much and wants to enjoy you and have a relationship with you, and you don't even care about any of it. Um, you, could, you could make a really good case that I'm just living in hatred towards my mom. I'm living in not un, just not acknowledging her at all, <clears throat> including myself. Everyone in here does that, by the way, with God. No one... Lives, lives out perfectly uh, the relationship God's made you to have with him. But we all do that on a thousand degrees and a thousand little nuances throughout our day. Uh, he, he, you know, as, as the people of the world, and in particular his people, well, he's always like, oh, man, I want to I wanna eat. I want to eat with you, and I want to talk, and I want to spend time. And there's a way for you that I've designed for you to live in this world that's good. And we all, even as Christians, can be like, yeah, but I want to make, what I, this, I want to make this my way and do it my way and kind of not acknowledge you here. Or I want to do it, uh, I just want to kind of disregard you in some level of things. And so that's what we all 
do. It's what we're all like, and God, in his grand mercy, has chosen not to leave the world and its people in this state. Another way uh, Ephesians describes us is in Ephesians chapter 2. Some of you guys who've read Ephesians a number of times, in Ephesians chapter 2, there's this really weird phrase that says, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. Okay, some of you guys are familiar with this phrase. And I've, always, I've heard people describe being dead in lots of different ways, kind of like you're a zombie. You know, if you like walking dead folks, it's like, gosh, well, that's ugly and nasty. Um, you're dead, but you know, the idea of being you're dead, but you're alive, like how does this work? And I think at least to include in that definition of what it means for, for us as humans to be dead in our sin is maybe to think about like a leper, Okay. A leper is someone, uh, they have an intense skin disease, their nerves have died, and they cannot feel, they can't feel a lot of stuff. They can see things, they can acknowledge things. Um, they might be able to see that a stove is hot. Uh, they might see it turning red. That doesn't mean that they understand what it's like to experience the heat of the stove. So if they didn't know any better, if, they, if something was going on with their skin that's dead, their hand was on the stove and the stove was hot, they wouldn't know it because they're dead. Their skin, their nerves are dead. And I think that's one, at least one nuance of what it means to be dead in your sin is you're dead to the realities of who God is. You're dead to the reality of who Jesus Christ is. You're dead to the reality of who the Holy Spirit is. You are dead, spiritually dead. You can the same way you know I can experience the existence of my mom in her house without acknowledging my mom. The same way a leper can can kind of know the stove is hot but not experience the heat. That's how that's how we're that's kind of how that's what that's how we're born. Of there's we can we know what's out there. We can we sort of acknowledge something's existence, but you don't know it. It's not it's it's not in you. You are dead towards it. And there's really good news. Paul talks about this good news. And he says uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, just kind of reading, kind of paraphrased it here. And this is, this is true for every Christian in here. God's really come into your life. He's really made you and every saint alive together with Christ through your believing. As a Christian, what was once a leprous dead heart is now alive to the reality of God as Father alive to the resurrected Lord who became a man, who died for our sins, who loves us. We are alive to the very Holy Spirit of God who searches the very mind of God. Okay? This is who you are in Annapolis, Maryland. You have become alive at some point. And, and, and maybe today is the, the day you become alive. If you're not a Christian or you're not a believer, you're, not, you never, you're maybe just visiting trying to figure out these things. Uh, God makes people who are dead. He makes people who have the heart, the hearts like a leper's heart. He says, oh, your nerves are dead now. No, they're, they're dead. But I make things alive. You're, if you're a Christian here, you're, you're an example of a miracle of God taking a leprous dead heart and saying, oh, I, that doesn't stop me. And you should have that perspective towards your city. And you should have your perspective towards the world is that God makes dead, leprous hearts alive through the gospel. It should give you hope. There should be a banner over Annapolis. 
there should be a banner over it. And maybe you're called somewhere else, maybe another city in Maryland. Guess what? There's an end. There's, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but there is also an anticipation of me, of God kind of having his hands over Annapolis, saying, oh, oh, there's people I want to make alive here. There are people, they're dead in their sins right now, but that does not stop me from making people alive. Okay? These are huge, these are big realities for us to live in. God's still making sinners today alive together with Christ. He's still saving people by his grace. He's still raising people up and seating them with Christ in the heavenly places. Uh, that's always a really interesting phrase for me to, to think about, uh, that we've, that in one sense, we're seated with Christ. Like we're in union with one who has a, an authority and a power uh, that is so immeasurably great, greater than anything else. If I were to ask you, What's the most powerful office in the world? I'm just going to guess, as an American, as far as political office, most of us are going to say, well, it's kind of hard not to argue that the President of the United States, whoever it may be at the time, does not hold the most powerful office in the world. You can make, you can make other arguments, but it's kind of a, you can make a good argument for that one. What's, one of the, the scriptures, I can't remember the, the reference, talks about not only has Christ been raised above every, over every power and dominion and authority, he's been raised over, this, and this is a really interesting way he says it, he's been, Christ has been raised over every name uh, in this age and in the age to come. So you can list your thousands of amazing, whether it's presidents, leaders, authority figures over the earth's history that we know of, and God says, yeah, my Christ, my son, is about 10 million oceans above every one of those combined. And that, that alone will make you worship when you start thinking about that reality of, man, well, I, I know this guy here. You know, you guys may have, gosh, forgive me again for my ignorance. You might have captains and leaders and things like that in your lives where you're like, that's kind of who I want to be. Like, there are people you want to model, and, and, and God comes along and says, yeah, you know, those are, those are just kind of echoes and shadows of one who is 10 million oceans greater than whatever leader you can think of. That's, that's who Christ is. <clears throat> that's a sub-point. That's not even part of my sermon. Um. It goes on to talk about that God makes us alive. He saves us to the praise of his glorious grace. As Christians, we say we've all been saved by grace. When you, if, if the Lord gives you an opportunity to share with someone the gospel, there's no way you can start off with, man, you know, I, I, know, I know what it's like to just have those trials. And let me tell you about a God who chooses me because I'm, because I'm pretty good. The, the, like the glory of God's grace is, you would, is to go to a person and say, man, I know the trials that you have. Let me tell you about a God who loves me despite myself, who, who literally became all the ways that I don't acknowledge him. He, he became, he took on all those things. He became a human. He died on a cross so that I actually could be free of, of the guilt of that but that I could actually, that he would put a new heart in me, and I don't deserve anything. Let me tell you about a God who loves sinners. I mean, that's, that's one huge, big part of the gospel. So, 
uh, kind of moving on, another quick point in Ephesians in chapter 2. We, every saint is God's workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God's prepared for us beforehand that we might all walk in them. If you're here breathing today, and I don't know, I mean, honestly, God could take you later today. He could take me later today. He might take you in 30 years. And this verse, the reason why he includes this verse is for these Christians living in this marina land of Ephesus. And it's true for us Christians, for you guys living in this marina land of Annapolis, to understand that there's still good works for you to walk in that he's planned for you to do. Some of those things God might be preparing or challenging is like, I'm starting, like you're starting to develop and build a heart for some type of work here in Annapolis. It's really cool. Like it, it might be something maybe that people haven't really thought of yet. It might be helping a ministry that already exists. Maybe God wants you to volunteer. But these are works that are part of his plan for you to walk in. And some of that, some, for some of you guys, you know, my hope always when I get to share in a place like this is, is that God is saying, yeah, and I, one of you guys is going to get that part of my heart that wants to go and loves Saudi Arabia. I had to, I had to describe it this way uh, recently for people. <clears throat> you know, I was sharing with an elder recently, and I was like, man, there's something that jazzes me up about being in a country that's 99% Muslim. To go, and I get, I, like, my heart gets jazzed up, and I love that. And he looked at me like I was nuts. He was like, man, I just don't have that heart. <laughs> and I said, and I know this guy. He's, he's got a heart for lots of different things. Um, you guys ever seen those apple slicers that you push down, like the fruit slicers, you push it down, breaks up, all the slices, blah, blah, blah. That's kind of how I've envisioned sometimes the way God gives his heart into people to do some stuff. He's like, here's my heart, you know, broken open, and Jill here is going to get my heart that says, oh, I've made you to help my people be led into worship through singing and song. I've given this person my heart that you're going to work into the people of the arts community to reach people out there for my kingdom. Blake, you get the heart for the Muslims. It's a unique calling. It's not something I even asked for. just something that grew. Uh, you, you're going to have that. That's my heart for that, and I'm going to put it in you. I mean, God, God does that, and he does that through all of us. And, and these works that he's prepared for us beforehand to do, it's just his heart broken open and saying, yeah, this is how I want you. This is how I've made you to serve. And it's good. God's blessed us all as saints everywhere, worldwide, and even the people who are going to become believers with his glorious grace in Christ. There is a glorious grace in Jesus, the beloved, for us and for many other thousandfold sinners in Annapolis and around the world. Don't give up on your city. Have a heart for the neighborhood that's around this church. God's put this church here for a reason. There is a grace that is a, a million Atlantic oceans deep that is meant and, and wonderfully to be experienced by you, his believers, his saints, but it is meant to carry over into, oh man, it's so big and so good, it can't help but fall out onto the neighborhood, upon the city, and onto the planet. And God is going to, he'll call and work how he wants to do that for, in each person, but you know, starting to get an idea of God's grace, imagine it's like, oh gosh, well, here's, here's, the, here's the dam. And man, oh man, the, 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 the rising of the water is so great. This, it's obvious this dam's not going to carry 
hold this water. And sure enough, you know, you've seen Weather Channel and all that kind of stuff. It's like, wow, that riverbank did not have the capacity to hold how, how, how great and powerful that river was. As Christians, experiencing and knowing God's love for them, there's a sense of, I can't hold this in anymore. Like, there's a, like when you get hit with the tidal wave of how much God loves you, all, it's like, oh man, I can't believe how much I'm loved. Let's go. Let's go love and serve. Let's go tell the gospel. Let's go help the poor. There's something when you grasp it, it's like, I, oh man, I can't help it. I'm, I'm full. And, I, and my body alone, me just experiencing alone, can't contain the capacity. It's got to come out. And you should, as a church, we should say, oh man. Oh, as Bay Ridge, there should be this. And it, and it really comes, I think, from, from grasping how much God loves you. I mean, you can, you can kind of jazz yourself up and be like, oh, here, well, we need to do these things. But I think in the end, one of the biggest fuels, the gasoline, is when you get, oh my gosh, there, are, there is four million Atlantic oceans of love toward me, and I know it, and I can't hold that in. I can't hold that in. As Christians, we say we've really obtained an inheritance in Christ. Um, real briefly on that, <clears throat> you, ever, you know, you ever been to like a piece of land or something like that, and you're like, I wish that was mine. You know, I mean, I, I, I use Airbnb a lot when I travel. And I'm not going to lie, there's times, you know, we were talking about this this morning, there's times when I'm like, I wish this house was mine. This house is so cool. <clears throat> and you know, no matter how you've ever felt, whether you're looking at the Grand Canyon or looking at your cool backyard or you've ever traveled somewhere and like, gosh, wow, that would be so cool to have. God says, the world to come where, where he is there full in full view with his son, with the full experience of the Holy Spirit. The Bible describes it as new heavens and new earth. You, there, will be, there will come a day when you won't just be saying, wow, I wish this was mine. You're going you're gonna to look at the expanse of the new heavens and new earth, and you'll be able to say, this is mine. And God's going to say, this is yours, because I've adopted you. There's the one who, who, who totally deserves this, my son. And because you've believed in him, everybody who believes in him basically gets what my son gets. And there will come, there will come a day, no matter how much you lose in this side of heaven, where, where you will enjoy and have an inheritance that will blow you away. It's going to be yours. And that's kind of what he encourages the Ephesians with. With this, you've obtained an inheritance. Keep your eye on something that is, it is future, there's about a thousand things that want to blind you to it, but you know, maybe use a physical example of when you're out seeing the beautiful part of Annapolis or the world, and you, or you think, wow, I'm standing at the ocean, how magnificent this is, and God says, oh, it's all going to be yours. Christian, it will all be yours. I know that's hard to believe sometimes. It's all going to be yours. God's still causing his Holy Spirit to be poured out into the hearts of sinners today, that still others today might have uh, this inheritance. Don't, again, don't give up on your city and from thinking about the reality of, God did this for you. You're not any different than the neighbor or the, are you called Annapolisians? What is it? Annapolitans. Oh my gosh, I wouldn't have ever got that. 
There's not one Annapolitan that's any different from you when the God came into your life and saved you. And again, his grace, man, just imagine it's like he's like, I'm wanting to bust out. And I want you first to know at Bay Ridge, first, I love you. And it's not because of how apathetic you've been. And maybe for some, and there's Christians go through seasons of apathy, hurt, the rejection. And God said, oh man, I know those things are hard. I love you so, so much. And I'm going to get, I'm going to talk about that in a second here. A um, couple other things. God's really delivered you from the domain of darkness. The redemption you have, uh, and this is from Ephesians 1.7, the redemption we as Christians have seems to include, or is this very reality, the forgiveness of every sin you've ever done that you do and will ever commit. Okay, so... This takes some kind of massaging into our hearts. Uh, for me, just to say, as a, if you're a Christian here, none of your sins will ever be held against you. There's a way to think about that. It's like, yeah, it's true. My ten mistakes aren't going to be held against me. So, so what? It's kind of like saying, you know, the dryer sheets. And they're just so thin and flimsy. Like we experience our forgiveness the same way we might think of, wow, a dryer sheet is just, well, it's great. It's a dryer sheet. Yeah, it's important. That's how we experience our forgiveness. And God said, you don't even get how sinful you are because one of the reasons, if you really want to experience God's love, sometimes you kind of have to really meditate on what sin is and how much, how a thousand times a day you don't. <laughs> You don't live right. You don't acknowledge who God is. And a thousand ways a day, even as a Christian, there's way ways that you just don't even live in light of his face. And God said, oh man, that's one day for one saint, a thousand things. You will never carry that weight. That was for one day. Most people live 70 or 80 years, times 365. Okay? Now we're starting to get this whole number of Whoa, what? Wait, wait. How much am I forgiven? If you're a saint here today, and I know we all do this, we all kind of still kind of carry that guilt of, of our sin and things like that. You know, our consciences condemn us. God said, oh, oh man. The reason, you, the reason you're forgiven is because somebody can't. He sent someone who's gonna, who wiggled his fingers just like you do, who sits in seats just like you do. In every way that you don't acknowledge God, Every sin, whether it's your sin of the sinful of finding salvation and pleasures that I mentioned, or finding salvation and just trying to be good, that sin too, Jesus was treated and counted for four million, I use water analogies a lot, for four million oceans worth of your sin. He was treated fully for all of it so that you would never be treated for it, ever. Okay? It's, it's meant to be amazingly liberating, but it's also meant to blow you away of, I can't believe it. All that whole debt done, someone else suffered the debt, and I no longer carry the debt. Every day, I, mean, I, I wish I could just say, yeah, you come to a point in your Christian life where it's like, I get it, and now I don't even, I don't, I don't wrestle with not getting it. Every day, there's a million things that say, no, even to the Christian, that says, no, find your salvation again in the physical pleasure. And sometimes you still do. There's a million things a day that say, find your salvation in just trying to be good and moral. 
And even as a Christian, we still do. And God said, yeah, every day, I, the cross of Christ is enough to even cover your ongoing sin struggles and failures every day. The millions of sins that you've committed, you don't carry before me. Christ alone has carried it for you. And that, when you start to meditate on that more regularly, <clears throat> there's, and I, don't, I don't live in that reality all the time. I have to fight to kind of get that. But when you do start to fight to kind of just get it more in your life, seriously, there's times when I really want to go hug the earth because I can't believe how much God's loved me. I'm like, I don't care if you hate me. I just want to love you because I've been loved when I was an enemy too. I wish I lived more like that, but I don't. And God said, yeah, I don't, carry, I don't, I don't hold that against you either. Christ died for just your struggle to believe. Really good stuff. <clears throat> I'll, I'll kind of jump on when it, before getting into even ELIC and things like that uh, on that to end on the note with how much God loves you. And this, this, is, this should blow, this blows me away. Ephesians, I think this is still in Ephesians 1. Paul lifts up a really interesting prayer um, for his saints. Now, a lot of people, have you ever prayed for something like this? Lord, give me strength to make it through something? You, got, you know, there's sort of this prayer of, Lord, give me strength to make it through this. It might be a death. It might be some just crazy circumstance. It might be a relational thing. And, you know, a lot of times, like, Lord, I don't have the strength. Give me strength. This, does that ring a bell? Anybody ever prayed that? Okay. Um, Paul, that's so amazing to me. He, he prays a prayer that, like, no Christians ever pray. And you'd think, well, it's like, well, Paul's praying this for the saints, that we'd pray this more often. It's such a unique prayer that when you read it, you're like, this is the most kind of weird-sounding prayer, but it should invigorate us. It's Ephesians, uh, it's Ephesians 1. <clears throat> 17 and, uh, let's see, make sure I get it right here. it's Ephesians 1, because there's, there's, two, there's two prayers he lifts up. I'm just going to paraphrase it. He, he prays for them. He says, Lord, give them strength. Now, he prays for, for people to have strength for different things. He, say, he prays, give them strength to comprehend how great and high and long and wide is the love of Christ for them. The reason why you need strength for something, the reason why you work out and, and do, do lots of different exercises is because you have to build up strength to do something more. That's the reason why you work out. It's like, well, I want to I be able to lift this much, so I need to build up my strength to get to that point. And Paul said, his prayer implies you need strength even to get how great and mighty and awesome and amazing is the love of Christ for <laughs> like, a lot of times we just assume, oh yeah, I'm supposed to just get, I'm just supposed to get it, God loves me, okay. And Paul's like, oh no, you need strength to get this. And then one of the methods by which you're going to grow in getting stronger is me actually praying that you get strength to comprehend how great and awesome and mighty and high and wide and long and deep is Christ's love for you. 
I need strength to get how much he loves me? That should tell you a lot about, how much, about God's love. Because in one sense, God's love can, can almost be like, oh my gosh, I can't, I'm, I can't get it. It's so great. And Paul's like, oh yeah, I know. That's why I pray that you might have strength to get how much you're loved. And I think a lot of times, in particular, you know, I, I say this for myself, American Christians, because we, we just do, we live in a really entitled uh, country. We just feel like we're, we're entitled in our understanding and entitled of even of God's love. And Paul's like, oh no, you need strength to get that. And that, I mean, that kind of blew me away of, oh my gosh, I've really minimized God's love for me. That I can say, oh, I, I just get it. I, I, I'm loved. Because, and Paul's like, no, no, you need strength to get this stuff. With that said, so we have this idea of, you know, God, we are saved by grace. It's an amazing grace. Moving into, moving out into the world, uh, Ephesians 3, uh, kind of paraphrasing Paul's point, is that grace is given to saints to preach to others the unsearchable riches of Christ. There's a grace that you have that is your salvation, the forgiveness of 10 million times 10 million violations of God's holiness, lifted off of his saints, and then there's the grace of, oh yeah, the water is about to overflow over the dam, and you, when, you, when this water overflows from you, you are going to go right across the street from Bay Ridge and just go meet your neighbor. Or at the Naval Academy, you are going to go talk to that person in the classroom and be like, I know this person's hard to love, and I can't help but reach out because I I'm, I'm starting to get how much I'm loved. It's going to be for some of you, whether you are 65 to 18 years old, of God is stirring in me to go to India. I don't know why. But I, there is something about his love for me that says, that's, that's who I want, I want to go share with. And so he gives, this is a grace. This is a grace that he does this. And I just wrote a thought here. God's often used vehicle by which he does his great kingdom work of opening unbelievers' eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light, so that they might receive forgiveness of sins, is through sending a saint or saints or a community of saints to go and do this work. Uh, let me read this again. This is, this is kind of for, uh, thinking through Acts 26.18. Let me read it again. God's often used vehicle, maybe even most often used vehicle by which he does his great kingdom work of opening unbelievers' eyes to turn from the darkness to receive forgiveness of 10 million times 10 million sins is through sending his people to go and do the work. <clears throat> it's just one of the, and I, mean, I, I struggle with this individually, but I struggle with this in churches as well, in American churches. We all have this tendency of, to get salvation for ourselves, um, and then it just becomes salvation for ourselves. Like I said, if you, know, if you guys went to the, the Navy, the application process and all that kind of stuff, and they were just all about this is all for yourself, the Navy wouldn't be the Navy if it was all about yourselves. It, you, like, it would just be a disaster <laughs> if that was the case. And God's like, yeah, uh, I have designed Bay Ridge, I've designed Blake, uh, all these things to be a part my kingdom work uh, to go help turn people from the darkness to receive forgiveness of their sins. Um, 
and to be a part of my kingdom work. The world, which is where all of us as saints belonged before we were born into the kingdom of God, the world and its inhabitants are separated from Christ like we were as Christians, and they're strangers to the, the Messiah who's come. Paul even says they have no hope and are without God in the world. And I think to go back to my analogy with my mom and her house, the world lives like that. There's maybe even an acknowledgement, well, he's there. I love enjoying the benefits of him, but in one sense, I actually hate him because I do not acknowledge him. The world lives like that, and God pours out his love on you, a sinner, so that you can know, oh, he still loves and forgives sinners. And he says, oh, go share that with the world. There's still hope. They don't have hope because of the things they're trying to put their hope in, but there is still hope. So with that said, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness. Um, Your Holy Spirit is always so needed to apply truth for anything I spoke that wasn't truth. uh, Keep it away from here, but uh, maybe you can use something, or maybe something you you did or spoke into someone's heart and mind, even apart from me, uh, to encourage us together to pray Seek your face to be a blessing to Annapolis, to the world, to Turkey, to China, to Japan, wherever you might send us to go. Um, I pray your favor and blessing over the midshipmen here. I thank you so much for what they do and just pray great blessing and protection over them. But Lord, we need you to just be daily waking us up, to be spurring us on. Help may your body uh, do that with each other. We just need your help, God. So I just pray your blessing and favor over this place, that it can be a place where the water raises up so high, and that the, but the, the, the dam can't hold it back, that, that they have to be a people here at Bay Ridge who go out as well into the neighborhood, into the community, the city, the world, because of how greatly they are loved. But we need your strength to get it. And so I pray that you might work that here. Lord, we love you, and I always pray all this in Christ's name. For more teachings and resources, or to learn more about the mission's work that Bay Ridge supports, please go to www.brcc.church.